0: Hello, and welcome to episode 183 of Smarts, which, as we all know, stands for...
1: Stopping meta-activity requires time-consuming synthesis. Ooh. The ooh.
0: That's true. Finish the intro. My name is Rudiger Q. Podcaster, a.k.a. Trevor. Hi. And your name is...
1: Julia Guglia of Internet Fame, dash, podcaster. Correct. Yes. Because we sure. got married, you see.
0: That's right. I remember. Okay. I was there. <laughs> I was one of the principal players involved.
1: Excellent. <laughs> um,
0: so should we move on to the news? I'm ready. Okay. So a couple of bits of news this week. Um, we had talked before about how there were going to be additional Star Trek animated projects in addition to this Star Trek Lower Decks mm-hmm. TV series and a couple of short tracks that they're doing, which are going to be animated. There, there were rumors of additional animated projects. And we still don't know exactly what they're going to be, but we're, we've got a bit more information. There was a report this past week that um, that CBS is shopping a uh, sort of kids-oriented, a younger skewing Star Trek animated series to the Nickelodeon network. Oh. Which I don't know if that's like, is that owned by CBS and... You know, like, I, everybody owns everybody else these days, yeah. you know? So I don't know how, that, how, how all that works. Or it could just be a business deal. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're, the companies are related or whatever. But it's interesting. So, I mean, I think we've all just assumed that every Star Trek production from now on would be on CBS All Access, mm-hmm. with, I suppose, a possible exception of maybe they might air on the main CBS network as a special event or whatever. But um, it hadn't occurred to me that they would be shopping some of these series to other networks. Mm-hmm. But I guess if you've got a kid skewing, I mean, it's not like there aren't it's not like there isn't kids. Well look kids. at what
1: they did with the Disney app. Star Wars Rebel uh Resistance for right, Disney
0: app. Right, but that's not that's not um that's not original content for the Disney app. That's just a show that happens to be on the Disney Channel on cable and we're watching it via an app. And this would be the same way. This is something that's that would be on Nickelodeon and we'd just we'd watch it via whatever, as opposed to Star Trek Discovery, which the only way you can get it is via an app. It's not on oh, I see, any I kind see of what you're saying cable or whatever so so this would be the first Star Trek production in a long time that would be actually on traditional television and not an app um so if it ends up happening and we don't know what the premise is gonna be I think weren't there rumors that trying to think now weren't there rumors maybe I'm conflating two different shows but there were rumors of like a Starfleet Academy series that would skew a little younger no that was going to be live action that was going to be more like teen oriented like teen drama oriented in the 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 animated series was gonna be something else, I think. Although it does seem like if you're gonna do doesn't it seem like a, a Starfleet Academy series would be a, sort of a good um into anime a good um premise for a, a younger skewing show. Although those characters would be like late teens and early twenties, not not really kids, you know. Right. That nothing not to say that it would have to focus on kids, but normally kids' shows have younger characters in them mm-hmm. predominantly. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what this would be, but it's it's interesting that they're shopping it around to other networks too, and not just keeping everything on. Because I mean, I think there's. I mean, I do see some people saying, I think it's true that it's a little too bad that because Star Trek should be available to everyone. Like when you think of the amount of people that just happen to watch a random episode of the original series back in the '60s, and were affected by seeing that it's the the Star Trek message and seeing that multicultural crew on the bridge or whatever. Like. Obviously, these streaming services didn't exist back then, but if there if you had to pay ten dollars a month,
1: mm-hmm. if it was to gated see, to see that, mm-hmm. there are a
0: lot of people that wouldn't have been exposed to, to it, it and benefited from it exactly. So I do think that there's that there's i and ideally, all of these shows would be on c b s but I guess they figure there's not the market for it on c b s. Just not, the only thing there's a market for on c b s is procedurals skewed it. 50-somethings you know mm-hmm. like our, our parents watching ncis mm-hmm. the third spinoff or whatever um it's all it's on cbs these days so i it's if, if better it exists on cbs all access than not but i do think it would be nice if there were especially for kids you know get them young if there's something that's really true to star trek but skews a little younger like star wars resistance mm-hmm. um that's on nickelodeon as opposed to the disney channel and 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 gets them gets them young and if it's of high quality then i think it's Think it's a good idea, so we'll see if that ends up happening. And the only other bit of news this week is um, DC announced they do, do, do this stuff sometimes, and it, it seems like a lot of times it doesn't really amount to much. But you know, they're giving it another go. But they they um, they'll have like a theme for the year. So they said that this this year twenty nineteen is going to be the year of villains mm-hmm. in DC Comics. So I mean, we've been seeing a lot of this sort of taking shape already with the whole Legion of Doom thing. Now the Justice League series is kind of as much about what the Legion of Doom and Lex Luthor are doing. As it is about the Justice League and how there's like the two, you know, Doom versus Justice, like the two warring forces for the universe yeah. that are sort of. So anyway, they're going to have this thing where it's like you know the the villains are on the rise this year, and so to to kick off the year of the villain in full force, there's going to be a special one shot issue in May, which will only cost twenty five cents. They do this stuff. They haven't done some of this in a while, but they'll do like a special issue. Um, I, th- I think I thought I think with DC Nation number zero, whatever they did that kicked off. They did. They had that a year or two ago. That had the short story that led up to the Batman wedding and the first Bendis Superman stuff. So I guess that was only about a year well, ago. Well, don't forget that the was Flash th-
1: uh, narrated issue that was like eighty pages long, and it was uh, it was regular price instead of like a twelve dollar issue. It was oh, the actual issue. Rebirth. Yeah, the special. Rebirth special.
0: Yeah, I, I, you could be right. I don't remember if there was special pricing on that. You could be right. It would have been a smart idea to do that. But yeah, they'll do this. I remember when when they kicked off the. This was like going back probably 15 years at this point when I kicked off the Bruce Wayne murderer arc in the Batman comics. That was only 10 cents, and they've mm-hmm. done stuff like that. Um, so it'll be 25 cents, and it'll have um, stories by uh, Brian Bendis, Scott Snyder, and James Tiny in the fourth, and it'll focus on. So I think there's going to be a like a Legion of Doom storyline and a and a, um, a Leviathan some Leviathan stuff from Bendis because you know he's building to all that yeah. and the Superman stuff. Yeah, and a Batman Who Laughs story from Snyder, obviously. Um, and the, so they'll be the three main, like, Luther, you know, Leviathan, and Batman Who Laughs will be the three main focuses here, because I guess those are, like, the three biggest things they've got going on this year, mm-hmm. for the villains, and then it'll lead into the ongoing storylines, and the Justice League books, and the Superman books, and the Batman books, ostensibly for the Batman Who Laughs. So, yeah. this will be kicking off this whole thing, so, 25 cents, I mean, I'm not sure, that I remember when they... They, when they would do these things more frequently, have special low-priced issues and the idea is, you know, get people into the comic shops to pick up this low-priced issue. But now that you can just get everything digitally, and I'm not sure how many how many new readers you're really getting with this. I think that the readership is what it is at this point, and people will, like, try new books, but they're mm-hmm. not necessarily going. But I think I'm going to start reading comics for the first time, starting with this 25-cent issue about these villains I've never heard of. Right. Know? So I'm not sure really how much that works. But, you know, it's it's nice that they're putting – good original stuff out there, not just reprints for lower prices to try to hook new people into reading these stories. So mm-hmm. I think it's a good idea. And that's it for the news.
1: Well, nice bit of news.
0: So should we move on to your comics of the week? Ready. What was your comic of the week?
1: I chose Electric Warriors, but I don't remember the number. Number four. Number four. That's right. Well, um, so stuff is getting really Game of Thrones up in here. Let me just frame it that way. Because the... Um, The misfits of the group, of the Electric Warriors group, have somehow discovered that, um, well, that uh, they're being sold off like cattle, that the losers of every match are being auctioned off and eaten, um, and that the entire premise of stopping wars from happening and uh, sending your warriors to fight your battles for you in... Name and glory and honor and all that stuff—it's all a big fat lie. Well, this
0: is this is what I was wondering though—is it really a big fat lie? Because they're still the wars actually did still stop. Exactly. It's just instead of fighting and dying, you get you fight, lose, and get eaten, and still die. So it's it's less no It's a more ignominious end, but Mm -hmm. the the goal you achieve is still the same, right? Exactly. I get that there's an extra level of of um of sort of corruption to it because there's like this the one percent conducting mm-hmm. these secret backroom deals yep. and, and getting these warriors as a prize as opposed to the conflicts being settled mm-hmm. on their merits by these warriors on the battlefield. Right, like you get and the, the whole sense, thing being treated The conflicts are actually being resolved in this crazy cannibal banquet hall. Yeah. And what the warriors, which warrior wins or loses, is probably less important than they were led to believe. But still, right. the wars are being stopped. Like firestorms, mm-hmm. great compromise, or whatever he called it, it mm-hmm. does seem like it stopped wars. It's yeah. just that there's this extra level of yeah. ickiness to it. But again, yes, so anyway. But that was something that I sort of wondered about when I was reading it. It's, it's still, you know, it's if you're willing succeeding. to sacrifice yourself on the battlefield, you're still yeah. willing to sacrifice yourself on the buffet table, you know? Yeah. So it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. But I get that it's a little less noble from the perspective of the warriors.
1: Yeah, definitely. You get treated like cattle instead of, you know, like an honored, venerated warrior. Yeah. Um, And representative of your race and planet and whatever else. So, yeah. So they all discovered it. And now they want to get to the bottom of it. So they form a plan where... Oh, because they're starting to notice that the the number of challenges against each one in this group is increasing. Which means somebody knows that they know. And they're all trying to figure out who. And the only way that they can do that is by using one of their powers. has like mild mind-linking telepathy. And so he challenges... Um, one of the higher-ups who would know who the head honcho is. So the orchestrator of this entire gambit, he would know who that is, and that's what they're trying to figure out. So he challenges it and loses.
0: Well, because... Dun-dun-dun. Um, because Firestorm knew that this was going to happen yep. and implanted some sort of like telepathic virus mm-hmm. in his opponent so that it would kill him when he tried to get the information from his brain.
1: Exactly. And head explosion, not pretty.
0: Although it, it might not have even availed him much, even if he'd succeeded, because from what we've seen, Firestorm never really goes to these things anyway. It's kind mm-hmm. of like a running joke among the, the people, in there. like, oh, I see you, your great leader once again is too busy to come to our... So someone who just happened to be there once or was aware of these gatherings, might not even know that Firestorm is the guy running things. And even if our guys didn't learn that Firestorm was the guy running things, what does that really get them? Right. Would any of them even know who Firestorm is? Mm -hmm. It's been hundreds of years, presumably. We don't know what he's been up to, but I'm assuming he hasn't been like a major figure on the galactic stage. Right. In hundreds of years since, you know, the 21st century. So would any of these people even know what to do with that information? Like, oh, there's a guy named Firestorm whose head looks like he's on fire all the time. Now we know exactly what to do to... Yeah, exactly. To, to dismantle this entire Weak, gal- of galactic water. oligarchy, you know? No, yeah. I don't think so. No. So, I mean, they had to try something. but I And, of course, they don't know what they don't know. For all they knew, it could have been, you yeah, know, exactly. if they discovered it was just like some Durlan or whatever. It's like, oh, we know how to stop Durlans. But it mm-hmm. turns out it's <laughs> this Earth superhero has been alive for hundreds of years and is basically godlike power. So it wouldn't have really helped them very much. Yep. Um,
1: but it's interesting and it's a lot of fun. And that's why I picked it for my comic of the week. Mm-hmm. What'd you pick?
0: So I picked Flash number sixty-four. Doom. Um, this is the second part of the uh, the price crossover, weekly crossover between Batman and the Flash. I enjoyed the first issue too, but what I'm really enjoying about this is that it um, it's bringing so it's it it's a culmination of a lot of things, like going all the way back to the last Batman Flash crossover, which was the Button, mm-hmm. um, and dealing with like their ongoing detective team up to figure out what's going on behind the secret behind Rebirth and the missing years and the watchman button you know pin mm-hmm. thing and everything else that's going on um and but it's also following up on stuff from heroes in crisis like wally's death and even some stuff from um the the batman wedding gets followed up on here like oh flash doesn't even know that the wedding didn't happen like it just it goes to show you just like how little they have been talking recently like you just assume that bruce has been happily married for the past few months or whatever mm-hmm. um and then bringing back st- it's bring back stuff that that um tom king from what we're now learning, it's apparently set up years ago at the beginning of his run, like Gotham girl and her true allegiances and what she's really been up to and where her powers even come from. It seems like that she gets her powers from Venom, which Batman didn't even know. And Flash is like, how could you know so little about these people that you were hoping would be able to replace you basically? Mm-hmm. And he's like, you're right. I just never, you know, I, he was, it was a blind spot for him, you know, and. That's kind of how Bane's coming at him is by taking advantage of these blind spots that he has, like the Flashpoint Batman who we would never see coming Mm because he thought his entire reality was wiped out and Gotham Girl who we would never imagine would Mm -hmm. turn on him and all these people like Holly Robinson who kind of poisoned Selina against him in a way and caused the marriage to not happen Mm. by sort of sowing seeds of doubt in her mind. Like she was kind of... Well, that that was what Bane sent her there for, whether it was necessary or not. Like when we saw Holly coming to Bane at the end of Batman number fifty, and she's like, "It worked," you know. They oh, right, I see. like it's so. Whether whether Selina would have not gone through with it because of the same doubts without Holly's sort of worm tonguing her a little bit, we mm-hmm. don't know. But that's that's why Holly was there. That's why she had ingratiated herself back into her life. Um, and so that's that's kind of how Bane is systematically dismantling Batman's life and his happiness, not to mention like having Nightwing shot and all this other stuff, like turning Commissioner Gordon against him by having him like act out the thing where he's beating out Bane and Arkham, right? So yep. now he's like, he's systematically dismantling his life and Batman doesn't even know the extent of the people that are arrayed against him. Meanwhile, Flash is going through all this other stuff with, with Wally being dead and and Iris being and it's like, Iris is really mad at Batman because Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman set up the sanctuary and yep. they swore that he would be safe there. And he goes there and like a day later, he's dead and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. Like, but I, I really, it's, it's, it's really, it's a really good read because you, you get there's such great characterization for both Batman and Flash, and what yeah. they're going through in their respective series, and their relationship it's like they've known each other for years. They're good friends, they're colleagues. Plus, they have this professional relationship that mm-hmm. most of the other leaguers don't have because they're both detectives mm-hmm. and they're both scientists. Mm-hmm. Um, Batman's a scientist, um, <laughs> but uh, I like but, how each. But, but their relationship the has kind of gotten the
1: Better uh CSI
0: yeah although I'm not sure I quite buy that from Batman but rightly or wrongly I think Batman would see himself as being like the best (laughs) the best everything pretty Um, much unless he's been literally like beaten by Lady Shiva in which point he might be he might be forced to concede he's maybe not the best martial artist I'm not I think that he'd be like
1: "Hmm, that was humbling
0: right but then he comes you haven't read it yet but then he turns the tables on Prometheus later plus Prometheus (laughs) is kind of kind of cheating by hacking his brain with these other skills that he didn't actually earn. Yeah. but yeah, and, and then, but all the stuff that's going on, like all the things we're learning about Gotham Girl and what she's really up to um, are, are adding a lot of layers to stuff that we've been reading in Batman for years and what we thought was happening with her and her brother. And now she's trying to like bring her brother back to life kind yeah. of. And so it's like Bane's kind of got this hold over her, it seems like. Um, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And so it seems like, and you know, what they've been teasing is that at the end of this arc, their friendship will basically be
1: damaged yeah.
0: to the point where, and again, this is, so I don't know if this is something... Is this, is that something Bane, because obviously we know, like, from the meta-narrative, we know that that's, like, the worst thing that can happen because we, we, we know that, like, their goal, because we know, we, the readers, understand the stakes in figuring out the whole Dr. Manhattan thing and the missing years and everything. We want that to happen. And so when we see their investigation hit a dead end because they can no longer work on it together. Right. um, That's really bad. From our perspective, but Bane doesn't care about that. He doesn't know anything about Dr. Manhattan or The Missing Year. So the disillusion of their friendship is probably just like a happy accident, just one more way you can twist the knife in Batman. But I don't think he's one of his main goals is to systematically, you know, like, oh, now, 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 how am I going to make him in Wonder Woman fight? Now, how am I going to make him in Green Lantern fight? I don't, right, I'm not sure right. he would have quite that many, you know,
1: to, a- angles <laughs> to, yeah. to
0: work, you know? Yeah. So it's just kind of a happy accident that he's you know, the, the events kind of conspired. Plus he didn't have anything to do with sanctuary, which is the main inciting incident here that we know of anyway. And right, Tom King's writing that too, go. so I guess it's possible. Yeah. Um, I guess Vane could actually be the sanctuary killer from all we know. Um, but, um, but yeah, I guess it's just, just one way in which it's a happy accident. But this, the sanctuary thing is really like the Wally's death, the fact that, that Barry trusted his surrogate son for all intents and purposes to one of his friends to, for healing and mm-hmm. he ended, he wound up dead. Um, and the fact that the, he has, Batman has no leads and like, this is the one thing you're supposed to be good at is being yeah. a detective and you can't even do that properly when it really matters, you know? So I can understand, and it doesn't seem like a contrived, like oftentimes we've seen like how many times we've we seen, um, heroes argue or fight or their friendships break up or teams dissolve or whatever, for it what seemed like contrived reasons. But because we've been reading these stories now for years, since the beginning of Rebirth and all of the stuff has been building to this right. it seems kind of natural that yeah like based on where they are right and barry's at like this low point in his life too because wally surpassed him yep and and when it went off so barry's like i'm not the fastest man alive anymore i need to learn about these new forces he's sort of been humbled and brought low by the by his new place in the world right you know and so he's sort of coming from a posi- he's like back on his heels coming from a position of weakness and some a little bit of insecurity too mm-hmm. And then Batman with like the marriage breaking up and all this other stuff, like they're they're both coming at this the worst possible time. And so something so traumatic. And I wish the one thing that I wish if I had one and this is just me wanting everything to be back in continuity again, but I, there it's been very they haven't really made it clear whether like Barry remembers all of his Life with Wally now mm-hmm. seemingly like after they reconnected and rebirth. But does everybody else we know the Titans do because you know he touched them each and they're like mm-hmm. oh Wally of course how could I have forgotten you? But does like Kyle Rayner remember bickering with him in Grant Morrison's JLA like we've been reading? You know like does does every does the universe remember him? Like does Batman remember being on the JLA with Wally West mm-hmm. as the Flash? That's what I want to know because and that's one thing that I haven't really gotten from this. Like did did Batman even know who this guy was? You know like. Traditionally, yeah. he should because they were on the JLA together for years, but yeah. I don't know if all of that, if his memories of that are, are back or not. That's one thing I would kind of appreciate because that would just be one extra level of... I mean, for Batman, the fact that he failed and all of these people that he's trusted that, that he swore to protect were all killed under his watch yeah. would be bad enough. The fact that he actually knew some of them fairly well would only be incrementally worse for someone like him. Um for other characters it would be exponentially worse but for him it's like the 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 failure on like a responsibility and and strategic level yeah. or like a planning level would be almost worse for him than the fact that he had known some of these people for years and most of them weren't people that he knew very well like hotspot you know <laughs> roy even like did he even know roy that well yeah. probably like I, I imagine he you know when when he and green arrow would get together and team up you know Dick and Roy would be there too or whatever, but I don't think you probably knew him very well. I'm trying to remember who else died, a bunch of other people. Lagoon that... Boy. Yeah, Lagoon Boy, I don't think he really knew or cared about. So, But it would be interesting to just be one more way of twisting the knife if we knew that he actually cared about Wally too. But I guess that's not really the main, the main point. point of this. But yeah. yeah, but I, I'm really enjoying it. So we have another installment this week, and then it ends next week. and then it. I wonder if this is like the second installment of like a trilogy, because we had The Button mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Or a year or two ago. I guess it's hard because the series are bi-weekly, so I can't really go by issue numbers. I'd have to adjust the math in my head. But probably about a year to a year and a half ago, and then we mm-hmm. have this one. Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting if it's like there's like a third crossover event in another year or so that sort of brings all this stuff to a head because that'll be around the same time the Tom King's Batman run is ending. Because yeah. he's going to do a little more than 100 issues, and now we're in, like, the 60s. Yeah. So a year from now will be around, like, issue 90 or something. So right. it be right near the end of that. Yep. So it would be interesting if that sort of culminated there. And that'll be also around the time that uh Doomsday Clock will be ending. That'll be late this summer, which is less than a year from now. But it'll be around the point when, depending on how the whole Dr. Manhattan missing years thing wraps up, that could be where we start to... See the fallout of that also because everything will catch up with Doomsday Clock around then. Yep. A year, you know, a year, skip the year ahead. So we'll see. But yeah, that was my awesome. that was my pick. Awesome. So should we move on to your pop quiz?
1: I am ready. So
0: this week I have a little bit of a little bit of a different. It's more of a, a game, an activity than a pop quiz. Okay. So because last week was Valentine's Day, uh huh. I thought I would have you rate your favorite Star Trek couples.
1: Oh. Okay.
0: Okay, so I've got six couples. Uh huh. So do you want me to give them all? Do you want me to just listen for you first, and then I can repeat them as needed? Sure. Okay, so you got to rate these couples. All right. On a scale of what? This feels like a Buzzfeed listicle (laughs) in the making here. Um, On a scale of what? Well, you don't need to rate them like one to ten. I mean, just rank them. I should have said rank instead of rate. Just rank them. You know, your favorite to your least favorite. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Riker and Troy.
1: Oh, good one. I guess
0: spoilers if you don't want to know what people end up with each other in various Star Trek series. Yeah. Riker and Troy. Uh Kira and Odo uh-huh cisco and cassidy yates
1: uh-huh
0: uh tom paris and bolana torres
1: uh-huh
0: um seven of nine and chakotay huh which was the thing that happened i know <laughs> and uh trip and to
1: oh man these are good
0: so those are your six so which would be i your... shipped
1: everybody except for number <laughs> seven five and chakotay. i did not ship those two yeah i, I shipped that... seven of nine with the doctor that's who i shipped
0: yeah, that always, that would be a little, I think that would have been weird. I think the writers and the actors knew that would be a little weird. Weird. Because he was like her mentor, yeah. you know, almost like a paternal figure to her in a lot of ways. And the fact, it was kind of like a, well, it was a. Well, they
1: were peers. Not Dr. Doolittle. What's the of... thing
0: I'm thinking of? What's...
1: It is Dr. Doolittle. Very good.
0: No, it's not Dr. Doolittle. Uh-huh. It's Eliza. What, what's, the, what's the thing Eliza I'm thinking Dolittle.
1: of? Eliza Doolittle. Right, but that Do- wasn't Dr. Oh, Doolittle. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Pygmalion. you <laughs> I mean, like
0: Dr. Doolittle fell in love no, no, with a no, no. penguin or something.
1: Pygmalion pi- is the That's play. right.
0: It's, you know, it's like he was like her tutor in the world of like sophistication education, music, culture, manners, you know, and he ended up falling for his pupil. That was kind of the thing they were doing there. So, and I guess, although I guess in Pygmalion, did they Mm -hmm. end up, I'm assuming they wound up together? It is. Still, I think it would have been, because she was sort of like naive. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about Seven now, not other character in
1: both it applies to both
0: Pygmalion but Seven was almost like a a a child in a lot of ways Mm because she didn't really have any experience with the world or romance or whatever so I think Mm -hmm. it would have been like a little cradle Robbie anyway but so I'm guessing that's your that's your bottom that's your number six so what's your number one then
1: then we'll fill out the middle Kira and Odo
0: really above okay yeah, I think I so so now I guess I could yeah, so you do yours and then I guess I'll do mine. But yeah, that would be up there. I mean, just because I grew up with the Riker and Troy not that they ever did a will they or won't they thing on Next yeah. Gen really, which is kind of what made it fun, is that they were just yes. like super casual with each other yeah. all the time, I and mean, they eventually they ended up getting married in a movie that nobody really liked. But, um, but I'm fine with that being the ending of their story too. But just yeah, but I mean their their relationship was never really a relationship that we got to see on the show. It was more just like a really close friendship.
1: Yes, you know, yeah.
0: So. But yeah, and
1: I, I ship them pretty good. But I would have to say, let's see. So Kieran and uh,
0: Odo would be number one. Kieran and
1: Odo is number and one. And Seven
0: and Chakotay is number six. What about uh, Riker and Troy, Cisco and Cassidy, Tom and Bolana, and Trip and T'Pol?
1: Oh man, so
0: yeah, you can look at it if you want, I and mean, that's
1: for me. It is, um, Trip and T'Pol is my number two. Hmm. Tom and Bellana is my number three. Cisco and Cassidy is my number four.
0: Wow, Riker and Torres are second least favorite?
1: Yeah, I have to say wow. so. Just because like you Just said Just for
0: sentimental reasons. I understand, for objectively, but for sentimental reasons, like
1: I wasn't really like hoping as much for them because I was like, Oh, that's really nice, and I'm glad that they have the history and it's inevitable that they're gonna be each other's whatever. Well at some I'm,
0: point. I'm but. I'm amazed that Trip and T'Pol is your is your number two. I know. Me too,
1: actually. I didn't
0: really give it a whole lot of thought. I I do think it was one of the, one of the better, one of the better elements. Tom and Bologna were great. Yeah. It's, it's, the, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think that they, yeah, I think that they worked well together. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, their, their characters didn't really seem, uh, most, a lot of the characters on Voyager didn't, seem quite as fleshed out as characters on like next gen or, or deep space nine to me and right. so uh, their relationship never really felt as deep as say yes. like the Kira and Odo relationship yeah. which probably felt like it had the most nuance to it out of any of the
1: yes it there's was. just so
0: many moments in their mm-hmm. relationship that I can that I can think of
1: like when he, and the fact that the it got like a episode
0: def- right <laughs> and the but the fact that it got a definitive I guess the Riker and Troy thing I guess a lot of them got a definitive end right because spoiler alert yeah. Trip dies in the last episode of Enterprise although yeah. nobody really liked that and no. conspired to sort of make it, to, yeah, to on yeah. it in a variety of ways. They're like, it was just Riker, a hologram Riker thing. and Troy got an ending, like they got married and went off to their own ship. Mm-hmm. But Kira and Odo like said goodbye, basically. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's always the chance they might see each other again. Right. God knows in all the novels they've written, they end up meeting each other again. Yeah. But uh, but the fact that we got to see, um, in various flashbacks, we got to see them like meet for the first time and then they had this long friendship and professional relationship mm-hmm. and then eventually they, you know, he he we discovered that he had feelings for her mm-hmm. and then what she learned about that and she was like really flustered about it but then you know he sort of won her over mm-hmm. and then they had yeah like that was a great thing so I'm the
1: setup do you remember how he was uh, how, how they were yeah set I up? remember the whole thing yeah, was yeah. I,
0: I think that the relationships in Deep Space Nine from from the from the the like antagonistic relationships like um like Cisco and Dukat and the Ooh. um and the friendships like Bashir and O'Brien yeah <laughs> and and the uh, or or Jake and Nog or like mm-hmm. any or, and and the the relationship and the romantic relationships like Cisco and Cassidy and and, Kira and Odo were so much r- richer than 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 any of the relationships in the other shows that I think I'd have to put even Cisco and Cassidy even though Cassidy I liked but mm-hmm. I didn't I, she wasn't like my favorite character but I just think like their relationship mm-hmm. was was wonderful on the show so I think mm-hmm. I'd have to put that I think I'd have to put pretty much any any deep space nine relationship over over any over wager. like Trip to paul or, or tom and bellano i don't
1: know Trip to paul like you because i was I just think, really ho- pulling for them you know like thing, i'm ranking it based on how hard i was pulling i think for them i succeed. think the
0: thing that 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 i felt about the deep space nine relationships and from reading behind the scenes stuff i know this is true to to a pretty large extent is that from the friendships to the the um, romantic relationships. Oh, and of course, Warf, Warf, and Dax were also forgetting. Oh, yeah. I guess I should have had that on you there too. You should have put that on. I mean, there. Where would that be on your list? Would that be like second? I think that, that would be, the be new second? Two. Yeah, yeah. I guess I. Should. I think I was trying to keep it to like one per show, and then I put Seven Inch Code <laughs> in there just because I knew that would be the spoiler of the group. But um, that pretty much all all the character dynamics in the show evolved mm-hmm. naturally. Like the writers didn't sit down and say, "Okay, we want to." pair dax up with somebody, who should it be? Right. Um, they they just like they noticed that Col and Alexander Siddig had this real you know, Bond. like, this sort of, like, odd couple bickering thing. <laughs> and then they the more they start putting them together, they're like, wait a minute, they're, like, developing a real friendship here. And so they wrote to that. And mm-hmm. it was the same with, like, Kira and and uh, Odo. Like, Renée just put in that little acting moment where she told them that she was getting together with Beryl or mm-hmm. whatever, that she she just spent the night with Beryl. And she walks out, and he looks just very, very momentarily bereft before he, like, pulls himself back together. And he just did that. Because mm-hmm. I'm not even sure he, like, quite... Rationally understood why he was doing that. It's like, oh, it just seems like it just felt right. And they're like, whoa, wait a minute. The writers are like, wait a minute, Is there something.
1: Hang on. And they wrote to that. Whereas <laughs> yeah. with I
0: think like the the trip into Paul thing and the Tom and Bellana I think I think it was more like you know why don't we get Tom and Blana together? Yeah. And so they started writing to that. And I think it was the same with trip into Paul because if you like trip into Paul worked, I think a bit more organically because they had more of an arc. Like from the, mm-hmm. the first episode, yeah. she I annoyed appreciate their arc. He annoyed her more than any other human because he was like the most human guy on the ship. Yes. Just in terms of his his flaws, and. He annoyed, she annoyed him because he couldn't stand her whole Vulcan thing, right? right? And so their relationship had an arc from going from like, if not outright hatred, then at least you know acrimony right. to eventually being in love, and then you know they lost their daughter and everything, and it was very right. Yeah, all yeah that it was. That very was sad. Oh. Um, but but even there, I felt like the writers were saying, you know, what would be interesting is if Trip and DePaul got together, and they started writing to that, and that's a that's. A valid way to do it. But I think what I appreciated about so much of, I mean, so much of Deep Space Nine, they were just, they were just making it up as they went along. It was amazing that it ended up hanging together as well as it did. But pretty much every relationship and even like the whole overarching plot with the Dominion War and the prophets and everything, they had no idea they were going to do any of that. It just evolved naturally. Yeah. So so good. And I think that's why I appreciate so many of the relationships, both the romantic ones and just the platonic ones and even the the enemy relationships on that show. I mean, there's so many little I mean, we, we could talk about this for yeah. a long time, but even just like this like Wayun and Dukat or like Wayun and Damar. Oh you know, just like so good. Wayun and anyone really. Wayun and Odo, right? Yeah. And the different Wayoon's who mm-hmm. each had like a different kind of relationship with, say, Odo, like that one that that wanted to help Odo and, like, sacrifice himself so that Odo wouldn't... Like, all the little things like that just evolved naturally, Mm -hmm. you know? Whereas I I do feel like, like, literally, Riker and Troy, like, their relationship was in the series Bible because it was there from the very first episode. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the other ones just developed naturally, and so they felt more real to me. Like, this Mm -hmm. is the way it would really happen. It's not like all of a sudden on Voyager, you can tell that all of a sudden Tom and B'Lanna are getting more scenes together, and they're sparring more whereas before like they weren't really in that many scenes together like why is this happening all of a sudden and watching it through a second time with you I'm like oh this is where the writers decided to start getting them together yeah like I could see it Mm -hmm. whereas with a lot of the other relationships on Deep Space Nine you're like where's the moment where where Bashir and O'Brien become friends you can't really point to any one episode because it happens so naturally Mm -hmm. you know so I think I think that that's what I so I think I'd have to put I think Kira Oda would be number one then probably Sisko and Cassidy then probably Riker and Troy just for sentimental reasons then probably either *Trip and Nepal* or *Tom and Balana*, and then Seven in Chicote at the bottom.
1: Hmm, excellent. That's a solid. I record. think that
0: *Trip and Nepal*. I think that it wasn't necessarily the best written. It was. It was one of the better written aspects of that show, but it. it wasn't. I like.
1: I like the way the actors sold it. I think the it.
0: actors really like. That's I think why the I actors really, really it, did a yeah. good job with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they were probably two of the most. I mean, John Billingsley was great as Flocks, but yeah. I think that uh, Jolene Blaylock gets a lot of gets a lot of guff guff because
1: it was just robot lady for for the the first first couple of seasons she was
0: pretty robotic but once the writers started giving her more to play with by doing the whole thing where she was now starting to experiment with emotions and stuff Mm -hmm. I mean I guess you could say that that a truly excellent actress would be like Leonard Nimoy was able to do although some of the some of the most memorable Spock moments are the moments where he shows a little bit of emotion too but but Spock was a compelling character, even when he was being 100% Vulcan, you know, right. whereas when Jolene Blaylock was being 100% bulk- Vulcan, it was kind of dull a lot of the time, mm-hmm. a lot of people felt, mm-hmm. so maybe that speaks to maybe she wasn't quite as strong, I think most people would agree she's not strong I think aca- the right actor as Leonard anymore, but, but they didn't give her... Wasn't
1: that great either, not as great as yeah. it was for those moments, like the setup is all about it, and then he delivered the pitch, you know, but you have to have the setup there too, so that's how I think anyway.
0: Yeah, but I think that would probably be my ranking. Yeah, good. Yep. Awesome. So should we move on to our shows? Ready. So this week we have new episodes of Star Wars Resistance, Star Trek Discovery, uh, Gotham, Supergirl, Flash, Black Lightning, Arrow, and the first episode of Doom Patrol. hmm So we're going to um, go through some of these a little fast because some of them, you know, merit more discussion than others. Um, Star Wars Resistance, this was a fun one, I guess. Seeing Kaz and Poe team up again is always fun. Oscar Isaac is always good. I feel like this reminded me of a lot of the stuff they did in Star Wars Rebels, where it's like, ooh, the Death Star, we're hinting at the Death Star is being built, but our characters can't really understand what the Death Star is because we know that it's, you know, Princess Leia and those plans and so on. And then later we learn, you know, the Rogue One crew and so on. So... You know, Hera can't be the one that discovers the existence of the Death Star, so we're just going to tiptoe around and hint at the Death Star Mm -hmm. for several episodes. And here they're basically doing the same thing with Starkiller Base. Yep. Um, But it was, you know, it was appropriately foreboding and seeing Kaz and Poe bounce off each other is always fun but it does seem like we're getting right up to the start of the force awakens so the new republic is about to be destroyed the galaxy is about to learn that the first order is a huge threat and Mm -hmm. kaz is presumably about to lose his father because he's on hosnian prime he's a senator or something right in the new republic senate yeah um or some sort of government official anyway but he's on hosnian prime which is the planet that amaya gets blown up on there in that you know what i'm talking about amaya yeah, Maisie Richardson Sellers is the, the oh, actress yes. that steps yes. to the pet, steps right. to the edge of the parapet there Good and looks job. up at the Starkiller base.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, apparently she had, like, another whole scene in the movie where Leia, she's like, she was, like, Leia's confidant, oh, they... Leia sends her there to to try to convince the New Republic Senate right. that the uh, that the First Order is a threat, and that's why she's, that's where the camera zooms in on her. That's why the camera punches in camera on her. In all on that, her. All that oh, cut. Um, It was in the script anyway. I'm not sure if it was filmed. Um. Star Trek Discovery, so this one's called Saints of Imperfection. This Uh is the one where they uh, travel into the mycelial network to get Tilly back and end up bringing uh, Dr. Culver back as well. Mm Mm-hmm. So this, was, this one was really good. I, I enjoyed this one a lot. Me I saw it, I saw um, Jason Snell in The incomparable say that he thought this was the best episode of the series yet, not just the season, but the series. I'm not sure I would go that far. I no, think that my I favorite one of the like... season is still the one where they go to the Time planet. Travel? The planet. No, yeah. the still the one where they beam down to the planet, like the proper away mission.
1: Yes. The one where
0: they go down to the planet and to people that came from Earth during World War yeah. III, just because that one felt so Star Trek to me. It was but I do special. think there were a couple of really great episodes in season one in the middle of the war arc. Yes. Or the or like the Harry Mudd episode with the time travel. Thank one. Like, you. Yes, those those ones really favorite. stand out to me. <laughs> I do I do agree that the episodes this season just generally feel more Star Trek-y, But I was on board with the with season one anyway. Like season one didn't in places didn't feel a lot like traditional Star Trek, but that never really bothered me that much. I think you could go back to our old episodes of this podcast, and you would hear me say that. Yeah, it's it's not. There's enough trappings of Star Trek in there that it still feels like Star Trek to me. I don't need it to, you know, be away missions and scientific anomalies every week or whatever, although I do love that stuff. But but I, I you know, so I wouldn't say this one was my absolute favorite. Um, I think that the, so we kind of knew they were going to bring Dr. Kalber back because they they've basically been admitting that, since like the yes, day after the very, like yeah. literally there are interviews they're like hang the night on, that they kill on. them off or like their, their story is not yet over and there's theirs is going to be an, an epic love story which will take time to unfold and you know wait and see what's going to happen like as much as saying like this guy will be back on the show <laughs> um I did feel a little hand wavy to me, like Star Trek is full of techno babble, but it did like the emotionally resonant stuff landed with me and the whole thing of like, oh, he's going to come back with us, but then his hand phases through the thing and oh, what if he can't come back? I thought for a second, oh, they've been been leading us to believe. I thought it was going to be this epic troll. I don't (laughs) think they would do that with this relationship because it's the first prominent gay relationship in Star Trek. I don't think they would troll the fans with this relationship, Yeah. but I was almost like, oh, they've been saying for a year they're going to bring him back. And what if they don't? What if that's the...
1: Yeah. In subversion the of expectations,
0: yeah. but I didn't think they would do that with this relationship. Like I said, just because of the baggage we bring to it as real world viewers.
1: I was a little surprised between the relationship and May, uh, between May and um, Tilly, because mm-hmm. it it seemed to me a little jarring how they were at odds, at odds, at odds, and then suddenly such such
0: well here's soulmate Yeah, friends, I I agree know? with you. But it was I, a bit of a jump. I for thought me. that the way the actors played it was fine. Yes, I thought that agreed. they they went from being unsure of each other. Mm-hmm. To, to forming, like, to sort of, like, understanding each other. And trusting and, each other. And trusting each other. But then at the end, when Tilly made it seem like she'd lost her soulmate, that was the part that seemed like, whoa, where that did this come jarring. from? Like That yeah. doesn't seem like what they were playing...
1: I think it was given a little too little sc- attention.
0: Screen time. Yeah, team, because if you had another scene there.
1: Because exactly another because scene, there another was,
0: dialogue scene. Yes,
1: exactly because there but was they b- that scene.
0: Bear their souls to each other.
1: Yes, exactly <laughs> because that moment when they said, you know, I, uh, when May actually outright said um, that, I nobody knows me as well as you do. Like, how many t- how many um, times do you get to have somebody live inside you? Like, uh, that that you know they they formed a symbiosis and an understanding on that level and yeah. I
0: that wasn't really evidenced then, in the in the like she said that exactly until
1: he followed it up with oh, I was gonna say the same thing, but I thought it'd sound weird yeah, which but was cute if they'd it's just had like Tilly, a few if they'd it had
0: a f- if it had a few other instances where may was like oh, you know what this reminds me of that time when you were 10 when you you know, like, right. If we, and they had
1: a little bit like that. They they did have one moment, "Oh, you're you're ringing a bell." There was a moment in the dialogue that did something like that, but it wasn't long enough.
0: But even then that would be one-sided, right? Like even right, if May exactly. had 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 evidenced more of a deeper connection to Tilly, Tilly didn't really feel like she was reciprocating. Like She felt like she was there because it's her duty as a Starfleet exactly. officer to help this alien race. Yep. And she had developed a bit of a bond with her, sure. But the fact that she was bereft at the end of the episode just seemed like it came out of nowhere for me. Yeah, I've seen did. other people say that, too. That I think that was a bit of a flaw. Yeah. But the, the whole Culber Same. thing, um, once they found him, I think all that stuff worked great. But, mm-hmm. the, but then the, when they had the explanation for how he was still alive, it's like, I can connect the dots. Like, lo, like within the crazy science of this show which is crazier even than most normal Star Trek stuff, because here we've got the whole added complexity of, like, the mycelial network and everything, which is, like, I feel like, I mean, the warp core and, you know the Q continuum and the Borg and all this crazy stuff, like, that's all insane also. Yeah, But we've seen enough of it to kind of understand the parameters. Like, this Mm -hmm. is what the Q can do. This is what the Borg can do. This is what warp drives can do. Like, if they're like, oh, yeah, warp drives can take us back in time now, we'd be like, wait, what? Like, that's never been a thing, right? Yeah. But with the Mycelium network, all bets are off. We haven't seen enough of it to really understand exactly how it works yet, if we ever will. Yeah. Unlike things that we've been seeing for decades, like the warp core or the shields or phasers. Like, we basically understand how those work and what they can do Mm -hmm. but here it's like um not hugh paul stamets was like oh yeah like because i had a connection to the network because i was because he was like in my mind when i jumped and then like i kissed him in my mind and his tear Mm -hmm. somehow sent him into that like I didn't need to watch that, that scene again, much. but I'm like, yeah. wait, what was that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that just sounded like random words. Like, I, I mean, I kind of see what they were going for, which is that Stamets had a connection to the mycelial network mm-hmm. and in, in a moment of, without even realizing what he was, but did Paul, Paul never cradled Hugh's corpse like that, right? Like he wasn't even there when he was killed.
1: No, he he was. He oh, was he insane. woke up
0: from the bed. Yeah, That's he right. Was, he was there. Yeah.
1: And he held him the whole time. Remember he okay, had the white but eye But still, like
0: you, 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 you kiss a guy as he's. After, Like, not as he's dying, but after he's dead. Mm-hmm. Minutes or hours after he's mm-hmm. dead. And you can transfer his...
1: Energy. Essence, yeah. his
0: energy, I guess you could say, into the mycelial network because you have...
1: That's how they explained it, yeah. Like,
0: I can kind of... Like, obviously, like, we're drawing completely arbitrary lines here for what we will and won't accept from this whole thing. But the idea that he could carry something with him into the mycelial network next time he the ship jumps, mm-hmm. I can kind of buy. But the fact that just touching Hugh after he was dead was enough to impart something to him that he could then carry into the network Mm -hmm. is I think for me a bridge too far I think if they constructed that death scene a little differently like if Hugh had died Mm -hmm. if if Ash had snapped his neck like while they were mid-jump or something like, like oh I see like you know the energy of all the people on the ship is transferred to the mycelial network and then back to real space when they jump. But mm-hmm. Hughes got trapped there because he died mid jump or something. Mm-hmm. Like that's all. That's crazy. Also, yeah, but it seems a bit more plausible than than after he died, mm-hmm. Paul kisses his tear, and that somehow because they had such a close connection, he's like in his heart, it zaps and so that him to the, like I don't really. It's a bit much. Yeah, it was a bit much for me. And then you did. You don't. You didn't need all that. Like he could have just said, oh, like discovery is infused with mycelial energy because of all the jumps yeah, or something exactly. and so and it's a a million chance but because this guy died you know
1: mm-hmm. on the on, ship. on the
0: discovery like there was a 1 a million chance that his that his I don't even want to say soul in the context of Star Trek, but As the soul energy, got trapped in the sure. yeah. But i, I was seen people talk about this. Like they didn't like the idea of the, there being like this eternal soul that can like move on to other planes of existence or something because mm-hmm. that seems against the scientific nature of Star Trek. But when you think about it, like the Vulcans have the whole Katra thing, right? Yep. Like that worked like they had, McCoy had Spock's Katra and then Archer had Surak's Katra yep. and there was a whole bunch of stuff. So it's in the Star Trek canon that at least certain...
1: Elements of energy. Certain
0: species, sure. right? We know Vulcans have some sort of life force that can be transferred. And of mm-hmm. course you could make it, like you could make it sound scientific by saying what it actually is, is just like their neural impulses can be telepathically transferred or something mm-hmm. like that. It's not really their soul. And who's to say that this isn't the same thing? Right. It's all in how you contextualize it. But yeah, like some of that sort of bothered me a little bit. But, but I do think like as a as a piece of story, and there were some some really effective scenes and some really effective drama here too. Like even the visual of the ship being like, bridging the gap like being like half stuck in the mycelial yeah, network that and cool. half in real space was cool and then like the the sort of body warping yeah plasma or whatever that like turned all the people in the glen inside out is like half is like coming through the bridge and so everybody has to move to one side of the ship yeah. you know yeah and it starts to tilt and then the section 31 ship comes in so the other thing that i sort of had a bit of a problem with here is the whole section 31 stuff i, I can i can sort of ignore it because because it seems like here everybody's like oh Section 31, of course. I should have known you'd be involved in this. I'm like, wait a minute. Aren't you guys supposed to be a secret organization? But apparently the writers have said in an interview or whatever that something happens. There is an important event that happens. Maybe this will be dramatized on the show or on the Georgiou show or never. And we just have to imagine what it is. But something happens somewhere between now and 100 years later when we get to Deep Space Nine that causes Section 31 to go underground and Mm -hmm. erase all...
1: Record of records itself. of their
0: existence. Yeah. And so that plus several generations of As people living and dying, memory. there's nobody left in living memory who remembers that they existed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I can kind of buy that. I was just That sounds like an interesting story, and I'd like to know what that is. Yeah. So it's going to bug me until we get that dramatized. Maybe <laughs> yeah. that'll be the series finale of season seven of bum, the bum. Georgiou um, Section sure. 31 spinoff, you know. Um, but it, but the, the, I don't know. It just seems like, oh, one thing I didn't even notice... That I've heard people comment on is that Tyler had did you notice this? So they they've got their little black Starfleet badges, yes. right? Tyler tapped his to initiate a comlink. Yes. And Pike was like, wait, what did you just do with your badge? They've got like bad they've got com badges a hundred years before yes. next gen. Yes. Because they've got like, like their that? secret skunk works projects did notice or something. That. I do. So it's notice like the com badges start out as like a section thirty-one. Secret technology that then just, like, disseminated throughout yeah. Starfleet or something? Yeah. The, the only other thing I'm but that I'm makes not,
1: sense because the NSA yeah, that's often, has computers well, that that's we Well, that's often how never, new technology yeah.
0: happens is that it's developed by the military government. or mm-hmm. secret government projects and then ends up benefiting everybody. Um, the only other thing I'm not crazy about with the Section 31 stuff is the fact that they're wearing Starfleet badges at all hmm. because Section 31 aren't Starfleet. They're a secret... Because feder- the Federation and Starfleet, there's a Venn diagram, right? Like, Starfleet is a pseudo-military arm of the Federation, but mm-hmm. they're not synonymous. The Federation is an interplanetary government body, and Starfleet is a military... Entity. Entity that exists under the auspices of the Federation. Mm-hmm. Section 31 it's were like never... Starfleet. Navy and
1: CIA. They're not the same yeah, thing. Yeah, Section
0: 31 were, were never Starfleet. They mm-hmm. were a secret body of Federation intelligence, basically. Yeah. They never, like, what, what was his name? Well, um... William Sadler on D Space Nine, Sloan, yeah, was never walking around wearing a Starfleet badge. Ooh. He just had that S&M head-to-toe black leather <laughs> outfit, right?
1: Yeah, but ho- hold on, because that kind of feeds into the whole clandestine nat- nature of this uh, of of Section 30... How many?
0: <laughs> <laughs> How many sections? Section 31.
1: 31. That, that that makes sense why he wouldn't be wearing a badge, because that would be advertising what, he, what he's no, doing. But, so... No, I agree.
0: With, yeah, but even the way it was framed, like... The way it was framed in D Space Nine was that there was this, there was a a line in like, Section Thirty One, Paragraph Three yes. of the original Federation Charter that yeah. made allowances for certain covert operations in times of crisis. Sure, and that that somehow morphed into this Paragraph black 14, ops. By the way. Yeah, this this Black Ops body that nobody even remembered existed because yeah. it had been off the books for so long. Exactly, but it was part of the original Federation charter. It wasn't. It was never a Starfleet entity. So I think that this might just be one more thing that's different now between now and Deep Space Nine. Is that there was a time when they were an above board, albeit somewhat um, sketchy, w- warily eyed well, part it's like of, the of Navy Starfleet and the
1: Navy SEALs.
0: But those are both military. I, I, I maybe I mean we don't need to belabor this. But they were never they were never Starfleet at all. They were just they were part of they weren't even an official part of Federation security. But they if they were anything they were an unofficial Federation security organization. They were not part of Starfleet. Mm. So I think that what what we're seeing here, if you want to try to like make it all make sense, is that there was a time when Section Thirty One, which didn't used to be Starfleet was sort of maybe there was, a, maybe there was something that happened. Because we remember even in Enterprise, they dabbled a little bit with Section 31. We found out that Malcolm used to be part of Section 31. Do you remember this? There were a couple of episodes. you remember he was called back into service by the shady boss that he used to have oh, yeah. as part of Section 31? Mm-hmm. Um, like, it was, it was really under the radar back then. So something must have happened in 100 years between Enterprise and Discovery where Section 31 was revealed... And for a time, operated above board under the auspices of Starfleet, right. but then went back undercover and went back to their original remit of basically being an undercover Federation operation that had no ties to Starfleet. Yeah. We're just seeing this weird aberration in the middle of their history. And and we probably shouldn't extrapolate too much from it because this is not the way they were originally conceived of operating and the, not the way that they ultimately operate. Yeah. Um, so I don't really have a lot to... Do you have much to say about uh Gotham or Supergirl did about the superhero shows this week they Gotham were they were, was adorable. they were good episodes I, no
1: Supergirl was adorable Gotham was awesome um I don't know I'm enjoying both but
0: the I, flash thing with with short. with uh blanking Nora I was call her Jenny but no nope, wrong right. continuity that's what my um, acronym was about uh chain, like we I don't know tonally it was kind of weird like because it felt groundhog like Day. they were going for farce after a while. A yeah, like bit. Groundhog Day. They were doing Is a this little supposed groundhog to be Day. funny? But our beloved a characters little. are dying each time. Are we supposed to find that funny? Like, it is tonally. I wasn't quite sure what they were going for. You mm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It kind of felt like they were going... For, and Groundhog Day was a dar- dark comedy because Bill Murray tried to kill himself about 50 times, times in the middle of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> he drove himself off the cliff with the groundhog. <laughs> yep. With the, uh, with the, the uh, groundhog. Uh, groundhog in his lap. Don't drive angry. Don't drive angry. Um, <laughs> don't drive angry. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so tonally I wasn't quite sure what they were going for. But I I Yeah, I don't know. But it, it was it was a fun episode, but it just it seemed a little bizarre. Um Arrow, I think was probably my favorite of the c w shows of the week the whole so this one was called Star City Slayer, the whole thing with now I'm blanking on his name, and I call upon my Kevin Smith Green arrow knowledge. Stanley right Stanley, Stanley Dover Because yeah. um, we- t- we talked about him at the yes, time we when did. Like, when they said, "Oh, I have this monster, I' like, oh, it's Stanley and his monster from the from the classic mm-hmm. the children's comics, and then ultimately Kevin Smith turned into into like this crazy serial killer, yeah um so I was, we were kind of expecting he would come back. We were like, oh, is he going to end up being like the big bad of the season or something? I guess he could still be, but it seems like he's kind of been dealt with here because they, you know, they apprehend him. Um, but I didn't see that coming until about partway through the episode. Um, I think I I called it like a second before it was revealed because there were, I'm trying to remember now. What Do you remember? I'm like, oh, is it going to be the guy from prison? Is it going to be Stanley? Do you oh, remember me yes. saying that? Mm-hmm. I can't remember what clued me off. It was just something about his crazy serial killer wall or something like that. Maybe, huh. or or just me thinking like this feels like it's going to be a reveal, like somebody mm-hmm. we've seen before, mm-hmm. um, and who who's like out there in the wind that could be like a serial killer. I'm like, oh, it's going to be that guy. Did you? And it sounded like you saw coming that Dinah would get her throat cut. Yes. I didn't see that coming. I should have because we've been seeing all these people get their throat cuts, and we know from the future scene she's got you know, that scar. The scar, yeah. So is she going to lose her canary cry? It she seems is, so. Yeah. As that's a result how she lost this. it. Yeah. She she, she yeah. said so in the. thing. So that's too bad. Hmm. Um,
1: I think it's because they didn't have budget for all the effects.
0: No, I mean that's probably the cheapest. Between that and between that and like huge explosions and blocking off highways, so they can drive down them on motorcycle and stuff. Doing a little CG canary cry is probably the cheaper of the, yeah, the special but, I mean, effects they, things still they have could to do knock on the show.
1: Down. I don't
0: know. I don't think it was done Budgets for budget. I don't think it was done for budgetary reasons. <laughs> um, the stuff, with, the stuff with William was interesting. I think we're all assuming that it's, it seems like, doesn't it seem like, a weird, I, I don't know, maybe kids are still awful about this. It seems like we've kind of hopefully moved past the idea that he would be ashamed to be, not necessarily that he's ashamed to be gay. He just doesn't want to tell. We're, so, I don't know, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're assuming that the reason why he was expelled from school was because is he because was he kept getting in fights. And we're assuming the reason he kept getting in fights was because he was being teased for being gay. Mm-hmm. And he was defensive about it as, you know, you would be if you're being tormented for being gay. And that's what caused him to be expelled. But I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm being too naive, but I would hope that we're at the point now where like a 13 year old or whoever old he's supposed to be would be okay with telling his parents that he's gay, especially, you know, as loving and accepting and liberal parents that Ollie and Felicity are. Mm-hmm. I would hope that he'd be okay with that. But on the other hand, he has sort of a, a rocky relationship with them and he's yeah. carrying around a lot of anger because of a lot of stuff in his life. Yeah. Most recently being tormented for being gay and being yeah, yeah, kicked yeah. out of school. Um so I guess I can buy it. It just seems like I don't know. Does it seem to you to, you to be a little contrived that he wouldn't just immediately tell them? Uh, he's also yeah. angry at them for being sent away and all this other stuff. So so there's a lot of levels of anger that he's working through here. Um
1: Yeah, I just hope it it uh I hope
0: he, Maybe we're wrong, but but it doesn't like there's definitely a story there. There's a reason why he was expelled that, that he hasn't told anybody yet. Um, and then he, you know, he goes going off to live with his grandparents now. So maybe they'll, um, maybe they're going to drag that out a while, but we, we know what we feel like we know what it is because we've seen references in the future in this very episode, as a matter of fact, the fact that he's gay. Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably going to be what it ends up being. What do you think of the, the reveal that we've got? So it's interesting. They reveal that this, this, um, this blonde, uh, character, I don't know how, how old is she supposed to be? I guess we just need to figure out. Um, well,
1: she's supposed to be twelve in her twenties. So well,
0: Fel- well, Felicity discovers in this episode, or so we assume, she's pregnant.
1: Not so we assume she she outright says it. Does she tell? Yeah.
0: Does she tell Oliver that?
1: I think she does at the end.
0: All of the I remember is a phone call where where she gets some news and she's like, "I am" or something like that. But that could be anything. Like we're assuming. No, she
1: said, "I'm pregnant."
0: Did she, she say said that? that? I don't remember. Okay, you could be right. So I guess we just need to look back and see when these future sequences are supposed to take place and do the math, right? Like, sure. the differences between 20, be 2019 tw- plus years nine apart. plus nine months yeah. to the future is how old this girl is supposed to be. But she, she identifies herself as Mia Smoke, mm-hmm. which is interesting for several reasons. First of all, the fact that her name isn't Mia Queen, mm-hmm. does that mean that...
1: Ollie and she fall out?
0: Or that Oliver... Because we don't know where Oliver is in the future either. Yeah. Um... But even so, like, her name, I mm-hmm. guess she could choose to go by a different name. But if Oliver's still in the picture when she's born, mm-hmm. then surely her legal name would be Mia Queen, right. right? Yeah. But if John Diggle Jr. can go by Connor Hawk for no reason other than the fact that it's a name we know from the comics, then yeah. people can change their names however they want, yeah. I guess. Um, so, yeah, we'll learn that. So, yeah, it's like everybody we're dealing with. I, they're doing a thing, right? They're doing, like, Arrow of the Next Generation, right? Because we've got Zoe as the new Black Canary. Yeah. We've got then we've got Oliver's son in William and we've got Felicity's daughter in Mia and we've got John's son in in Connor Hawk. Yep. They're doing like, oh, the, you know, it's kind of becoming clear. Of like what we thought it was originally going to be in the future is like William and Roy maybe having weird mm-hmm. adventures yep. or something. And now what we're kind of seeing what they're doing is more like the old guard are gone. And now it's the kids going to try to like fix the mess they made or something like that, yep. which is kind of an, which is an interesting story. Like at least that has more of a shape to it. Than what we've been getting from the future scene so far, where it's like it wasn't even clear like what story they're trying to tell or where they're going with it. But if that's the theme they're going for, A, I think they took too long to spool that out. Yes. But B, if that's the theme they're going for, which is that the the guys we think are the heroes in the modern day, they end up making a pretty big mess of things. Mm-hmm. But they their their actions get to be redeemed by their kids. Mm-hmm you know yeah. and it actually is if that's the if that's the note the show ends on it's actually a fairly appropriate note because when you think of like the whole thing with Oliver the show started with Oliver trying to write the wrongs of his father yeah and if the way the show ends is William having to write Oliver's wrongs mm-hmm. that's actually a pretty appropriate yeah. poetic way to end the show i just now stumbled upon that as i was talking to you but if that's the way the show ends mm-hmm. the whole show is really about accepting the accepting the the mistakes your parents made, loving them anyway, but realizing that you need to do better than them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. You need to be better and, and sort of be better in the world and be better to your own kids. Mm-hmm. And if, if that sort of generational aspect to it is the note the show ends on, then yeah. I think that's actually a pretty good way to go. It's just, it's not the way I would have thought the show would go. I would have thought that it would have ended with Oliver Victorious in some big way. But, and maybe it will, but then we see in the future, even though he's gone 30 years from now, yeah. that his whether William becomes the new Green Arrow or something. I'm not sure we necessarily need that. But if like, if the, the, his legend lives on, his, his legacy lives on through the people he, you know, literally sired or, or inspired indirectly Mm -hmm. like Connor Hawk or whoever else or Roy, right? Roy's Mm -hmm. there too. Plus, you know, you got Renee and Dinah still there in the future. and that that's what ends up saving the city, like bringing it back from the brink of destruction. It's yeah. not him himself, but the lessons that he left for everybody else, including <laughs> his kids. Mm-hmm. I think that actually, that would that's actually nice. work pretty well. That's if that's, nice if that's where they're situation. going with this, I think that would sort of redeem the future stuff mm-hmm. in a way that I think it needs. Because so far, it's just sort of seemed a little scattershot. Yeah. Um, but so we should talk about the Doom Patrol pilot. So this one was called so, pilot. <laughs>
1: so the first one I'm concerned about uh, and confused by is that it was called pilot, but there was no pilot to be seen.
0: Yes, there was. Larry Trainer is a pilot.
1: Oh dang it, dang it! My joke is ruined.
0: <laughs> actually, or is it? In most, in most cases, so this it wouldn't surprise me if actually that was intentional. <laughs> no,
1: because the first
0: episode of Titans, I don't think was called. Maybe it was called Pilot. I don't know. That seems a whole
1: to... lot. Of, it's it's. Quite I know the that joke. I know
0: that it's common, but these days it's less common because these days like the the names of episodes are more front facing because you mm-hmm. if you're viewing them on. A streaming service, which is the way a lot or of people even watch iTunes. TV. It has the name of the episode right yeah. there in the way that when you're watching some random episode of NCIS, the name of the episode is not right there. Right. Like nobody used to know the names of random Simpsons episodes because they would never appear on the screen. It wasn't until yeah. the internet that people learned those things. Yeah. Whereas these days people are watching watching these shows on the internet. The only way to watch Doom Patrol is literally on, on, the, on internet. the internet. Yeah. So why wouldn't they give it a more appropriate name? It's not like it's not like they ordered a pilot. It's not like Jeff Johns is like, you know what, let's do a pilot and then see no, they shot all these together. Yes. You know, it's not a pilot, it's just the first episode so i don't know why they would, unless it was a joke um i i like this a lot i thought that i thought that I and mean, it looks like it's going to get super weird which it should because it's doom <laughs> patrol but this was f- for a doom patrol pilot was pretty straightforward not a lot of crazy i mean there's fourth wall breaking i
1: thought it was incredibly sad
0: it was very sad but the doom patrol is always very sad
1: but i didn't know it would it's, be so so sad it, ha- it should have a le- the very beginning i was like <gasps> these
0: are these are these are these are broken people, misfits, that were, that fa- find a sort of family. family in each other, but they don't even necessarily like each other that much. Yeah. And the chief is, I, I felt like they played the chief a lot softer here than they did in the Doom Patrol episode of Titans, where he was almost like a Dr. Frankenstein type. Yes. Which I always thought was an interesting take on the chief, and I wonder if they're going to come back to it here. Timothy Dalton seems to be playing him a lot more like- Warmly. Grandfatherly. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the other guy Which, had a bit of an way, edge to him. Why how
1: is he living for so long? Well, it, it, seemed he like they tried to it seemed like they
0: tried to de-age him a little bit in, in the, the scenes beginning. that were 20 years ago. It's like, it, does he have a little less grain in his hair now? But yeah, he definitely doesn't look like he was 40 then and 60 now or whatever. Yeah. Like, so I wonder if maybe he's doing a thing where he's, because he is a crazy scientist sure. in the DC Comics maybe universe. He's maybe he's immortal. got something that keeps him alive forever sure. or whatever. Um, but yeah, like, they're a team of, like, misfits who, who were screwed up in life. And then died in horrible, tragic ways, but were brought back, and really, and when they really didn't even really want to be brought back necessarily, yeah. Yeah. by this guy who was doing it not out of some sense of compassion or altruism, but out of a sense of like scientific curiosity, mm-hmm. like they're experiments to him. They're not, they're not kids. They're not yeah. charges. They're not friends. They're not, you know. Yeah. They're not. Mentees, their experiments to him, you know. Yeah. And in in the comics, they eventually re- I don't know if they're going to do that here. In mean, the comics, they eventually re- re- revealed that he caused the all of the accidents that resulted in their near deaths. Yes. So that he could then bring them back and Wow. And not just so he could not just so he could experiment on them, but so that he they would also feel grateful to him, right? Because if this yeah. things had just happened randomly, they'd mm-hmm. be like, "Well, you saved me," but I'm going to go off and do my thing. But because like, oh, only I know, like, the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he sort of did it as a way of. Ing- you know, making them feel dependent them. upon him. Yeah. So he created them and then made them feel dependent upon him. You got a lot of this in the episode of Titans, too, where he was kind of like, he was like negging, um, was it like, it was Gar, right? He was like yes, negging Gar was, a lot. He's yeah. like, oh, you're, you're just this dumb kid. Like, only I can appreciate, only I will help you and appreciate you. You can't, you wouldn't be able to survive out there. Yeah. You know, he's, you know, he, he yeah, has yeah, yeah. this weird psychological manipulation. So I wonder if they are going to get back to that. But I think the cast is great. I mean, props to the, and that, you, know, one, you know, one thing I actually respect a lot is Brendan Fraser and all the interviews. He doesn't have to do this. He always calls out the guy that's like in the suit by yeah, name. Yeah, he
1: does. Yeah. And says
0: like, oh, how much they collaborated. And how, like, what
1: It's the, a team effort, he yeah, says. Like, yeah, and I
0: appreciate that because like he's the big star, the big Hollywood star that he's comes get, in and voices yeah. this character. Mm-hmm. Um, same with Matt Bomer, who's like had his own TV shows and stuff, who's voicing um, Negative Man. And they, they have- oh, So
1: he voices, uh, I thought he was in The Bandages.
0: No, it's not Matt. No. In, okay. in neither case is okay. it, is it Matt Bomer or Brendan Fraser in the suits? It's, yeah. it's a, it's an, I'm not sure if they're, I mean, I guess you could call them an actor. I'm not sure if they're traditionally actors or if they're just like stunt people or whatever who yeah. are, I mean, they're acting in this show, sure. but I'm not sure if they are actors by training or just stunt people who are being called upon to act here. Probably mm-hmm. a little bit of both. Um, but no, the deal was that they would voice the characters and play them in the flashbacks, but mm-hmm. it's other people in the, in the suits. Um, because I'm not sure that they have. I think they're they're probably they probably be too busy. Yeah. Frankly, because I mean I mean I don't know what Brenda Fraser is doing these days, but like you say, he's a he's a get, yeah, and Matt Bomer still doing a lot of on camera stuff too. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I think that um, so yeah, so I do I do respect him a lot for that, and I feel like their their vocal performances were both really good, and the flashback scenes they were both really good. Yeah. Um, and um, blanking on the name of the actress that plays Rita, but she was really good too. Oh,
1: um, April Bow Boby or something Bo- like that.
0: Yeah. Bowby. Um. And oh, okay. uh, and Timothy Dalton was great as the chief in this. It was a little jarring because he did seem mm-hmm. like he had a very different take than the guy that played him in the in the uh, yeah. the Titans I episode. I think I
1: like it a lot better because he could easily be playing it close to the vest.
0: Yeah. You know, if he's
1: a great manipulator, then he knows what emotions to display at any given time and what to tell. I people do and hope there's a bit of a reveal coming
0: because if they've just decided to play him as like this kind grandfatherly type, I yeah. do think that that's a bit of a, no, a oversimplification drop, of the like chief character. Mm-hmm. Um, And Alan Tudyk, I did not expect Alan Tudyk as Mr. Nobody to have as big of a presence from episode one. He's literally narrating the show (laughs) from the perspective of someone who knows it's a TV show. Like he's saying, oh, another yeah. superhero TV show, just what the world needs, yes. right? And he's like, oh, these yes. origins seem awfully contrived, you know? And yes. I've even seen some people talking about lines he has. Because when they send the screeners out to the press, they usually, they send more than the pilot. So I think the press have seen like the first three or four episodes. Oh, and apparently they, he even has like a line in a later episode. I think nobody would be watching this show if it weren't for those Grant Morrison comics or whatever, right? So, so they're <laughs> definitely like... Whoa. But it's, it's, I mean, that is like, this is like really circular because it's like Grant Morrison brought that level of metatextual awareness to Mm -hmm. comics more with his animal man run but also with his Doom patrol run to a certain extent like what is reality and all this like the the characters that know they're in a comic book was like a big thing in animal man so that's more of like from morrison's other work but having a character in here that knows they're in a streaming service superhero show Mm -hmm. it feels right for like the first doom patrol tv series that feels like a very grant morrison-esque thing to put in there um and his look is really interesting. Like it's, you couldn't really, I guess you could do the the Mr. Nobody from the comics where he was literally like this. You know, um, this is going to seem like a really weird analogy, but you know Mr. Game & Watch from Smash Brothers? who's yes. like this 2D, like he's yeah. literally flat. Like if you mm-hmm. view him from the side, there's nothing there. Yeah, yeah He's yeah. this flat 2D black and white character. Yep. That's kind of like what Mr. Nobody looked like in the comics. Like he was a flat two-dimensional mm-hmm. shape. So here they've kind of given him more depth, but he still has like this, he's only, and there's like, there's discontinuities in his body yeah like and his arm is, is not collected, connected connected yeah. to his torso which was also there in the original but he still has a bit of the face there which i feel like is probably a good move like see a little bit of the actor's performance sure. in there not just have it be you know yeah uh, like otherwise he would basically be a pure cg two-dimensional cartoon yeah. character It'd be like who framed roger rabbit you know yep. we've got this cartoon character interacting with everybody else um
1: i like his origin too like he goes to
0: yeah, I'm trying to think if that's—because I read Grant Morrison's Crazy Doom Patrol, Nazi but it was years ago, and that seems right to me, but yeah. To
1: South America.
0: But he he forms—so the original, the classic Doom Patrol villains were the Brotherhood of Evil. You know, you had the Brain, Monsieur Mala, huh. and Madame Rouge, was that her name? Um, and they would fight—and you had know, General Immortus, you know, and they'd fight the Doom Patrol. And then later, in Grant Morrison's run, Mr. Nobody came along and formed the Brotherhood of Dada— which was this Uh. absurdist supervillain group. They weren't villains necessarily. They weren't trying to beat the Doom Patrol. They were just trying to make the world... Weirder, You know, <laughs> so they would be like the the one of his stories was the one of Morrison's stories was called The Painting That Ate Paris. You know, they they, they they weren't trying to destroy Paris. They're just like, wouldn't it be insane if we created this painting that could eat a city? You know, like that's the kind of level that they were operating. They just want to make the world bizarre and strange all the time, it's you so know. Um, so I, it's it's if that's the level we get to here, that'd be super cool. But as far as the, the characters are concerned. So, yeah, I think I think they did a good, good job. Setting up all the characters. Mm-hmm. They packed a lot into just, I, I think it helps that we did have that Titans episode. Although I wonder, I wonder if they're, mm, I mean, there's only two or three original shows on this service. So I think it's probably safe to say that a lot of, that most of the people watching Doom Patrol have also seen Titans. I wonder if that's safe to say. Um, I wonder how much they're banking know. on that. I think you could watch this as
1: its own series. Someone
0: who didn't see that Titans episode yeah. and you'd be all, I think yeah, you'd, be you'd be fine. fine. Um but I do think it benefits from sort of knowing a little bit about the characters and how they operate and what's going on in this weird manner, you mm-hmm. know, like, Doom so I think Manor. it benefits from that a little bit. Like that's um, called Doom Manor. That's and I do funny. like that the chief had that line in there where it's like, you know, other people have come and gone over the years. Yes. So So sets the same. St- and we know, like they said in interviews, they're going to have other Doom Patrol members. They're going to have Mento and Celsius and all these other characters that, that were part will of Maybe the-
1: will make an a- appearance.
0: Maybe it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't do that, though, because it seems like with with the cliffhanger, the Titans ended on, then you you open yourself up to wait for the after Titans. Oh Oh, yeah, yeah. If it's a flashback, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be. I part of me wondered if he would show up in the pilot for that reason. If they Mm. did a flashback that took place, if because it starts off in like. I don't remember what it was, the 80s or whatever, yeah, then yeah. Cliff's accident. And then we see mm-hmm. even further back, you know, Rita's accident and the, you know, mm-hmm. the golden age of film or whatever. And then Larry's accident, which was, I think, in the 60s, you know, the height yeah. of the space race and everything. Yep. Um, if they were going to cut to, you know, 2016 or something and we'd see. Which again, circles back
1: to the point that if if the chief actually orchestrated their accidents in the first place, then, yeah, he's been around since before the 40s.
0: That's true. I guess we, we need more clarification on that. Because even if he didn't orchestrate their accidents, if he was there to take Rita in, mm-hmm. then he must have been around yeah. back then. And if he wasn't, if he didn't come around until the 60s or whatever, what was she doing for those 30 years without any place to go? So either way, there's sort of an interesting and story. And how did this. she heal? Um, and Crazy Jane. So Crazy Jane is the new character here. Yep. Um I think the actress is doing a good – I mean, obviously, we're going to – there's going to be probably – she's got 64 personalities. Each of them will have her own superpower. I imagine there's going to be, like, five or six that we yep. see with any regularity. Mm-hmm. Like, what was it? Hammerhead was the one that's, like, a real jerk about mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Um, I feel like she's doing a good job just with her physicality and her voice, like, differentiating between them a little bit. Um, But
1: – I like the little tiny effect to uh- – that we see that maybe the rest of the world doesn't see. But when she got in that cop's face and one of her other personalities came out Yeah, it took me to, a second
0: to... to realize that they were even doing that. But there's like a little flash the, or something. Yeah, there's there.
1: just this little fuzziness, fuzzy effect Probably that they put a over smart move face.
0: to do that. I mean, you don't yeah, really not... need that. But it does kind of help the audience to... to yeah, Like, oh, I exactly. should start watching for differences, you know. Right. And I can easily see that like later on. They'll have it happen like off camera or whatever, probably more. Mm-hmm. So that we, once we've gotten accustomed to it and we can recognize the personalities more frequently, they won't need to give us that visual cue as much. Maybe. Um, yeah, but I, I thought it was good. Like, if it were, I'm a little surprised that they had her be someone who'd been to the manor before um, and that she had, like, she's known the chief for years too. I thought they were going to basically do like, the x-men comics did this a lot like a Kitty pride or a jubilee thing Mm -hmm. where she's the young girl that's coming to this weird mansion for the first time Mm -hmm. and and meeting all these weirdos for the first time Mm -hmm. she's our audience identification character Mm -hmm. um and in the morrison comics she was she was like a new member of the team and she was there with you know negative man who was called rebus at the time and then you had the chief and you had cliff was there and Rita was dead because they all. She was still dead from the first time all the Doom Patrol died, and you had some other people, but she was like a new character to joined. Mm-hmm. And then she and Cliff had like this really interesting sort of love story by the end. Mm. So I wonder if they're going to maybe do a little bit of that here because they definitely did have them have several scenes together. Like she didn't have a one-on-one scene with Larry, mm-hmm. but she did have the scene with the painting with Cliff, mm-hmm. and then later sitting there in the park. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, I thought it was really good. I th- I thought that the I thought that the um, the effects were good and the the performances were really good. Yeah. Um, the, the, the script was interesting and I, I, I wonder, I do wonder how weird they're going to get with it. Um, because you could, you could do a, a straightforward, cause when the Doom Patrol, the Doom Patrol was around for years and their stories were, were bizarre, but bizarre within the bounds of like normal superhero stories. It wasn't until Morrison came along in the eighties and reinvented them that it got like Morrison level weird, right. like weird fourth wall breaking stuff and dealing with the nature of reality and things like that. Um. And I'm sure that this run is going to owe a lot more to the Morrison run, but they could have just as easily, I think you could do like a standard, you could make it work on say network TV. You could do like a CW drama Mm -hmm. about the Doom Patrol and just have them be like the weird superheroes, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. kind of like, almost like Legends of Tomorrow, where they're like, they're the misfits, you know, you could kind of do a Legends of Tomorrow-esque style show about the Doom Patrol and have it be suitable for all ages. Um, Or you could go really bizarre and have there be like entire sequences or episodes that are like. Take place in the characters' minds, or have like, and they're going to have like the Beard Hunter on the show apparently, which is the serial killer who only targets men with beards, and they're and they're going to have like, so they're going to do a lot of this crazy stuff apparently. Like that was another Morrison thing. So I don't know something tells me they're going to get weird with it. Like this episode, this episode ended with this donkey appearing in the middle of the street, yeah, and farting <laughs> a message in the sky to the team, and that was the note the pilot ended on. So yeah. something tells me they are going to get pretty weird. Um, <laughs> I mean, you've got a cap not the captive audience, I suppose they could always stop paying for DC Universe, but you've got a certain amount of buy-in from the audience, right? Yeah. Like they're not just going to f- change the channel, like you right. would if you're watching something on CBS or something. They're not going to you know they've already paid for this, they're, they're going to probably going to see it through, you know so you've sure. got a certain amount of buy-in on the part of the audience. You can probably afford to do something a lot weirder than you could, even on Mm-hmm. HBO or something like that. Not that HBO doesn't do weird shows too, but I just I feel like because it's such a niche service, and we talked about this on Titans too, you can you can structure things a little differently. You can make it a lot more niche because yeah. even with HBO, even though it's like a paying audience, you still have to appeal to as many of those people as possible. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this show, you only need to appeal to people that like weird DC comics, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so you've got it. You know, yeah. you've pretty much got your target audience already. So they could they could get really weird with this. They Would could it, do. do. Do you have any? broad thoughts on it i i really liked
1: <laughs> i mean you i'm not to echo your thoughts but i i the only reason i didn't chime in anymore is because i agree with you i really enjoyed this episode i love the cinematography i have to say so if i can get Filmmakery on you. I really like the choices that they made to tell each of the people's stories and how much work it took. And um, Cliff's story broke my heart because f- it just, fr- beginning to end, and every time he saw his little daughter, yeah. and then at the end, the revelation oh my God, I was if tearing I, up. I'm still tearing up. If I could now. interject
0: your thing with the cinematography, I, I, didn't, I don't think I noticed it consciously, but looking back, I, I definitely feel like the Cliff sequences definitely felt like they felt very 80s and yes, it wasn't just the did. wardrobe right and then the the sequences with Larry really felt like yeah 60s like, kind of like like the right stuff not that sure, that was made exactly. in the 60s but it felt it felt like that era of like mm-hmm. men are men which is ironic because i mean
1: he turned out not yeah, that not that
0: being gay means that, you know what i mean no but, like, but
1: in that era it was yeah. a
0: subversion of that like manly men fighter mm-hmm. pilot test pilot Hal Jordan. And
1: I like the way that that was you know, told Chuck like Yeager. that was an arc, arc as well because you you meet this guy and you see him on the surface level and you think that this perfect persona fits absolutely in the era and in the role that he's meant to play and then you see the subversion behind the scenes ex- of expectations where he's gay it's, when it was not okay it's, like in it's, a time when it was not yeah, okay. It's
0: It's interesting that they gave Cliff an affair. They gave Larry this closeted existence mm-hmm. and they gave Rita, I guess
1: a lack of understanding and
0: yeah, a little bit of like low level racism, I guess. But
1: oh no, it was high level not... racism. But it was also right, a probably low-level, probably not like probably not uncommon for nineteen thirty nine. It was a right? diva complex, yeah. So she yeah, was a diva. I feel like in her she got off time. a
0: lot lighter as far as giving her a dark secret. You know, yeah, she was she's very uncomfortable by this black guy with one arm. Yeah, is that's that's rude. But that's not you know what I mean. It's not like yeah. having an affair level of level of yeah. character flaw. Yeah. Um, but the the conception of the original Doom Patrol was that these were like these guys were flying high, right? You got a race car driver, mm-hmm. you got a test pilot, you got a movie star yep they were they were all beautiful people with awesome lives, mm-hmm. but then they had these horrible accidents, and now they're freaks, mm-hmm. and the world will never understand them, so they have to be these weird secret superheroes, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. was the original conception of the Doom Patrol. The idea of giving them like these secret shames mm-hmm. and massive character flaws, like having an affair and. Being a little bit racist, <laughs> yeah, um, is an interesting.
1: Her issue is that she's very self-important. I don't even I know guess, if it's tied that's, to racism. Yeah, it was just they were coming yeah, there, that and the guy had an like, arm. That, that was... doesn't
0: feel like quite the same like shock that like oh he was having an affair or oh he was Larry was secretly gay or whatever. Like right. that that doesn't feel like oh, I was like oh she's kind of racist in the way that everybody was racist in the
1: in the, in the World 30s, War II yeah. era, you know.
0: Um, but the idea that they all had like these secret shames, basically mm-hmm. that. Like they were kind of, I don't know. I have to be careful when I'm talking about Larry because I don't want to say like they were all, they all had like these flaws because being gay is not a flaw. Right. But in the 60s, it would have been seen as one, yes. which is, I think, why they did it, right? Like right. they all had these secret things inside baggage. Baggage. I'm well, going to call it baggage. Things that made them, th- things that made them either to themselves or to others seem. Like, Larry, if if he was—we haven't have seen a lot of him in these 60s sequences, but I think probably what they're going for there is he he had to present the image of, like, this Chuck Yeager-type, man's-man yeah. fighter pilot, and he was, you know— Secretly
1: like, married. Se- like, he had a beard wife and, and children.
0: Right. Like, this is his secret shame, basically. Right. Like, these days, obviously, you wouldn't need to be ashamed of it, but back then, you would have. Cliff— you know, it seemed like it was an open secret to his wife mm-hmm. that he was having an affair. But presumably, the world at large would have been scandalized to know that this mm-hmm. sports hero ha- was having an affair mm-hmm. with his young daughter right there in the next room or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, Rita seems like she got off a little light because I don't—I th- think that if most people were to see like her being a little racist back then, they probably wouldn't have bl- thought twice about it. But the idea that they were each carrying around this sort of secret or, or flaw or darkness or whatever inside them a little bit. Yeah. Like they were uh, they were something a little bit either correctly or incorrectly. Like, again, there's nothing wrong with being gay, but Larry would have perceived it as being like there's something wrong with him, right? Probably. He would have seen it that way if he was a typical man of the time. Right. So the fact that they each felt like they were doing something wrong or mm-hmm. that they'd messed up their lives in some way or that things weren't the way they were supposed to be, there's something a little off about their world, mm-hmm. right? A little mm-hmm. off kilter. And then this happens to them. And now their flaws, like Larry didn't want anyone to see who he really is. And now he has to live the rest of his life in bandages, Mm -hmm. right? Like Cliff, I'm I'm, I'm just now thinking about this now, but I bet that you could do similar things with like, Rita obviously was the statuesque beauty star, Mm -hmm. movie star. But now she has to focus 100% of the time or else she turns into this monster that nobody can stand to look at, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Cliff was all about physicality and his body and, like, you know, having sex and being a race car driver and being a man's man. And mm-hmm. now he's just like this brain and this robot body that he can barely move, right? And
1: he can't feel anything. Their
0: their flaws, right? Their, their flaws and their fears about themselves mm-hmm. are made manifest through their superhero origins. Yeah. Which is an interesting layer that, like I say, wasn't there in the original conception where the original conception was. They were perfect idols mm-hmm. who then had this fall from grace, right? Yeah. So it's an interesting. And I need to go back and look at the others. Like, I'm not sure if. I mean, I'm, pretty much everything has been done with all these characters at some point or another. So this might not be the first time that they retconned. It wouldn't surprise me if someone before this had retconned Cliff into having an affair or retconned Larry. I'm pretty sure Larry's never been gay in the comics, but there's interesting gender identity stuff with Negative Man that was done by Morrison, mm-hmm. where they had like this Negative Man entity had been in had been in multiple people over the course of its existence and not all of them had been male. Mm-hmm. So... Larry Trainer's essence was still there, but so was like this female doctor that the negative entity had had inhabited at one point, and so all of these identities mm-hmm. were in his body, and so he he viewed himself as like this um,
1: polymorphous. It, it,
0: well, he was yeah, he was like this bisexual yet yet omnisexual sort of being. Mm-hmm. Like he gave himself this name Rebus, so he would not have like a specific gender identity. Mm-hmm. And this was like the '80s, so having this someone who was like had a, had an unusual gender identity, mm-hmm. not just, I mean, there were gay com- characters in comics back then, not a lot of them, but that was one thing. But to have this character who was like one step beyond, like not just like right. a gay character is one thing, this character who was like sexuality gender fluid. fluid, like he doesn't yeah. like how he identifies, like, you know, even a gay man still identifies as a man, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's other things you can, you can have transsexuals right. and you can have people who view themselves as, as non-sexual and so on. And having someone like that in comics was very rare for the time. And so giving Larry a bit of, a bit of a, uh, an, a twist with his gender identity mm-hmm. is sort of in keeping with what Morrison did. So I wonder if they're going to go into more of that later. And even his look here with the sunglasses and the sort of like green flight suit, whatever it, ever, mm-hmm. whatever it is, over his bandages is very much how he looked like as Rebus. So there's mm-hmm. there's elements of that in there too. So yeah, I think that it's doing a good job of like paying homage to all the different eras of the Doom Patrol. Yeah. Um, and we'll see when they bring another, they're going to presumably bring in other characters later and. And do more stuff. I'm, I cut you off when you're talking about the, the cinematography of the the past sequences in there.
1: Yes. Well, no. I mean, I just like it. I I like the, I like that there's a this this darker sort of soft warm tone whenever we're in the house. Uh, it feels safe. It feels friendly, and it feels like I said warm. And then I like that each one of the characters was in their own era, and it was absolutely, like it fit like from that era.
0: Yeah. That's another thing too. Is I wonder. Because that that again that would, that's a change from the comics. Like mm. in the comics, they all they had their accidents, all of them, in the present day.
1: Oh, interesting. But I mean,
0: this was the '60s, so the idea of having like this movie starlet thing—I mean, there's obviously still female female movie stars these days, but sure. you view someone like Scarlett Johansson a little differently than the way someone viewed like, you know, Greta Greta Garbo or yeah. whatever back. You know, what I mean? it's a little yeah, yeah. different. The idea of like this poster idol Audrey movie Hepburn. matinee yeah. star mm-hmm. was still around a little bit in the '60s, so she was kind of a remnant. Rita far was a little bit of remnant yeah, of that, definitely. but you know that's when you had like the era of test pilots like Chuck Yeager, mm-hmm. Hal Jordan. Obviously, in the comics, came from that same and race era. car driving and race car drivers, thing, which is yeah. still a thing. But like these were all like the the movie starlet, the test pilot, and the race car driver were all things that were like the epitome of a moment. Of that, social, so giving them of, of having cultural. them come from decades apart mm-hmm. is interesting. I wonder why they did that. But it also has the thing like they've been living with these. They've been living like this for decades in Rita's yeah. case for the better part of a century yeah which is a really interesting change because in the comics you know that it was pretty true. it was very yeah. soon after their accidents that they had to like become superheroes yeah basically.
1: but remember I mean this was um how how old is the doom patrol what 20 30 years
0: No. um,
1: Were they invented in the sixties? Sixties, yeah. So, so then they're very, very old. Yeah. So they're all yeah.
0: The the thing with the Doom, one of the interesting things about the Doom Patrol, and it could just be a quirk of history, because this happens a lot too. It's like the whole, you know, the Armageddon Deep Impact phenomenon, right? (laughs) Um, Is that the Doom Patrol with a wheelchair-bound stern mentor and and a team of freaks who the world won't accept and live in a mansion and go out and have superhero adventures? X Men. The Doom Patrol debuted about a year before the X-Men did.
1: Oh, no kidding. And
0: so there have been a lot of accusations of plagiarism lobbied at Stan Lee for plagiarizing the concept of the X-Men from the Doom Patrol. I'm more inclined... Stan Lee, obviously, was an incredibly creative individual. Yeah. So I'm not inclined to believe those accusations. It just seems like it's one of those things where... Yeah, it seems like the kind of thing you would come up with, right? Like you've got, a, once you've created a million other superheroes, well, let's create a team of superheroes that are weird freaks, yeah. you know? And the idea of having a mentor figure for these weird freaks mm-hmm. is sort of a natural. Mm-hmm. And the idea of having them be like wheelchair-bound, like infirm, in quote-unquote, in some interesting way, yeah. sort of logically follows from that and sort of, you know, in in a, from a certain perspective. Yep. So I do think it was, it was probably... Yeah. I mean, at, at most, maybe you could say that Stanley had the idea for mutants and the X-Men and like oh I should give them a mentor figure and then maybe he happened to like see some Doom Patrol covers like oh maybe their mentor figure could be in a wheelchair too because that because even though he's like the more presentable one it gives him like this
1: aura this, of this thing of, of thing that's holding
0: him back too but the, the wheelchair thing is like even though Professor X was a lot more presentable to the outside world than say Beast or Cyclops or whatever he still had this thing that made him different than mm-hmm. most other people. You know, members sure. of respectable society because this was the 50s, and being in a wheelchair was perhaps was like, oh, you're in a wheelchair. Like, that's weird. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's, it's, so that's another interesting thing about the Doom Patrol. But yeah, so they debuted before the X Men. So it's been, I don't know, the Doom Patrol was maybe 62, 63. I can look it up after this, but it's been over 50 well, years. Well,
1: that explains Danny the Street.
0: Yeah, well, that was Morrison also. And we know we're getting <laughs> Dane the street in this series yep. also. And I wonder how they're going to do that. That's going to be... I think i going to have him That's like...
1: That's going to
0: be fun. Uh, I don't know. Like, I wonder how they're going to do that. Are they going to give him a voice? Because in the comics, he never had a voice. He would communicate with the team through like the storefront windows mm-hmm. of the shops on his street, right? So Might they would do, they would like walk thing, by and though. they'd look in a window, like Danny, what do you think about this? And they'd look in a window front and there'd be like a banner there that's for it. like, dr- for like an address shop that mm-hmm. would say like, I agree with Cliff or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they could do it. A lot of that stuff would be really interesting to do on TV. Yes, I wonder how far they're going to go with yeah. it. Yeah.
1: They'll have to get a lot of custom signs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I'm enjoying this show, but I seriously, in the very beginning sequences with the car accident and Cliff's, uh, awakening as it were, um, I just I like the way everything was framed. I really enjoyed this episode. This was really good, um, but yeah, I almost checked out. I, I legit almost turned to you, and said this is too sad for me. I, I really? Almost yeah, there was a very brief I didn't moment. Think, when I like was it just,
0: was sad, but I'm, is is it like I a lot know, sadder than say? I do My Titans?
1: mom brain. I it, I almost got broken. Oh, when the Oh, because he died accident. and he had a
0: little daughter. Yeah, yeah, but she still has her mom. It's not. Hmm. Huh? It's not the kids still had her. The daughter still had her mom though.
1: You're kidding, right?
0: Oh, but or or so Cliff thought. Or so or so we the odd no no. No. I mean we learn all of them died. We learn later in the
1: car accident. Are you not remembering that? No, we
0: learn wait a minute. We learn nothing. There's a couple of there's a couple of so first we think he dies on the racetrack. Correct. Right. Yeah. And then we learn that he died in a car crash later.
1: That's what almost broke me.
0: Right. Okay. That that's scene. Because at first we think with he with died in the, in the car crash. With in the car crash. That almost broke right. me.
1: I almost stood up and I, thought I just you couldn't meant, handle it. I thought you meant
0: like at first when we think he dies in the car crash, but at that point you're like, oh, no. she still has her mom. She'll probably be no,
1: okay. No, I was I think, sticking yeah. it through that part. That was sad, but I was sticking it through that part.
0: But point. then we don't learn that she turned out that she's still alive probably.
1: Probably. Maybe. Crazy Jane has... Well, I, you
0: wouldn't put that in there if it wasn't. No, of <laughs> She's going to show up later. Like, there's no way. Yeah, of course. And so she'd be she what, like 40, 40 now or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. The only the only other thing I want to say is that I really I th- I really like the opening title sequence. Like, you don't get really good opening title sequences anymore because like they're usually just truncated if they exist at all. Yeah. Like the Titans Titans had like this cool like log title treatment, but it wasn't like a full minute long opening title sequence mm-hmm. same with doom patrol and uh, not doom patrol uh, young justice mm-hmm. they just have like this little 15 second musical thing with some images but a really good opening title sequence like the marvel netflix shows with yeah. this evocative imagery and the list of the cast members and everything didn't like
1: didn't the opening to daredevil like win an award or something like that it
0: should have that was a beautiful it was all gorgeous. the marvel netflix shows yeah. had great opening titles yeah sequences.
1: but that one with daredevil was
0: even iron favorites. fist had it which is arguably <laughs> <laughs> probably the yeah. best part of that show was the opening title sequence. <laughs> yeah that was good um yeah, I, I just a really good opening title sequence is, I mean, I think I, when, I, when Titans comes back for season two, I have to give it an opening title sequence.
1: Mm-hmm. Me too. I hope so too. Yeah. So that's it for this week. If you want to uh, reach out to the show, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our website is www.smartspodcast.com. Our Twitter handle is at smartspodcast. And on Facebook, it's com slash smartspodcast. Do you have a funny sound for us? No. How about... Blah, blah, blah.